Um, it's great to be with you this morning. It is Christmas, nearly. Um, and as Sarah said, we're carrying on with looking at Christmas carols. And we're doing A Little Town of Bethlehem, which we sang at the beginning. Um, and I, if I may, I'd like to just kind of summarize this carol for you, if that's okay. And I'm going to summarize it with two words, which are, shh, surprise! which is basically what O Little Town of Bethlehem is. I mean, you've got O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by. Shh. But in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Surprise! <laughs> that is what this carol is all about. And if you think about it, it's kind of what Christmas is about for um, a lot of us, certainly when we're very little, that's kind of what Christmas is. It's parents sneaking around in the dark, late at night, trying not to wake their children who are pretending to be asleep anyway, um, and doing this shh. Was that them? No, we're okay. Shh. And then in the morning, it's surprise! Here's everything. This is what it is. And that's kind of, that's what Christmas is for a lot of people. And that's what this carol is about. But interestingly, that's also what God seems to do with Christmas in the Bible. Because if you read the Bible from cover to cover, which is a bit of a challenge, if you want to do it between now and Christmas, then go, go right ahead. Um, that will take pretty much all of your time. Um, but if you look at it, the Old Testament runs for 66 books and has got centuries of God talking to his people, interacting with his people, getting to know his people and them getting to know him, giving them boundaries and ways of living and them adjusting to it and then having a dialogue and a conversation between them. And then whether it's because God stops talking or because they stop recording it and paying attention, we don't know. But between the end of the book of Malachi, at the end of the Old Testament, and Matthew and the start of John the Baptist, and in fact the first interaction that we've got is the angel talking to Zechariah, who's John the Baptist's dad. Between that time and John the Baptist, you've got 400 years of apparent shh, silence. And then suddenly, surprise! Angels, stars, shepherds, wise men, everything comes out of nowhere. It's like God is saying, we've had this time. And you think you know what to expect but I'm going to do something new. Because let's be honest, that wasn't working. I'm going to do something new. There is something new coming into Bethlehem. And there's this passage that we read in carol services about Bethlehem, which is from Micah, Micah 5.2, which is this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 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 Bethlehem, Ephrathah, which I'm going to assume is its surname, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Bethlehem did not have a clue what was about to hit it. Sarah said last week, they didn't know it was the first Christmas. They didn't even know what Christmas was. There is no concept before this of God becoming human form and coming into the world in any religion, let alone their religion. But Bethlehem had no clue what was about to hit it. And that's kind of like children on Christmas Day. If it's their first Christmas or possibly second Christmas. Has anyone got children who are kind of under the age of one or under the age of two? 
Ben and Steffi are looking at me. We've got Josh and Julia in. Yeah, there are, there are kids in the house who are, for them, this is potentially their first Christmas. And it's brilliant because they haven't got a clue. I mean, as parents, you can do anything. They have not got a clue. You can, you can give them a ball of wrapping paper and they'd love it. Absolutely love it. To be honest, you buy them presents, they'll play with the wrapping paper anyway. Just to, just to give, they won't pay no interest whatsoever to the present that you've spent money and thought of. They will just play with the paper and everything, all the plastic that goes with it. Because they haven't got a clue. And it's brilliant. Jaira, who is our youngest daughter, we've got four children. Our youngest daughter um, is one and a half. She still doesn't really know what's going on but she knows it's something exciting. So she is massively excited about everything that happens. Advent calendars, advent candles, chocolate, every, the presents, the works. She loves it, but she still hasn't got a clue what it's all about. No idea. And that is a beautiful moment when you can genuinely surprise children and delight them and allow them to wonder at what is going on. Because technically, a lot of the time, we tend to grow out of that. Don't we? For most of us who are, who are adults in the room, apologies, but most of us who are adults in the room, we've kind of grown out of that when it comes to, to Christmas. We almost, we grow out of the wonder. We grow out of the surprise because we're the ones buying the presents, so we know what it is, and half the time, as parents, we haven't bought presents for ourselves anyway because we spent all the money on the kids. So this is what life kind of becomes. We grow out of Christmas, and we grow out of the wonder and the joy, and that's partly kind of normal and partly quite sad because we tend to focus more on the build-up to Christmas we focus on deadlines at work getting everything done so that we can actually relax we focus on all the Christmas shopping and you go through the various different stages of Christmas shopping like anger denial bargaining all of those ones that, that, that carry on um, and trying to get everything ready for Christmas and then Christmas finishes and the 26th of December everything goes back to normal and we lose something in that moment I think and I would like us to reclaim that a little bit this morning, if that's all right. So, I want to talk about some things in life that we need to grow and we need to develop. There's a psychological theory, and I'm not a clinical psychologist, um, so bear with me, but I'm going to probably summarize and stomp all over this. But there's a psychological theory called your inner child. Is every, are people familiar with this concept? You have an inner child that you need to nurture and grow, and sometimes our inner child has become damaged, sometimes our inner child needs to develop and grow. I've come to the conclusion that I don't have an inner child. <laughs> I have inner children. That is, I have different aspects of my character that are at various different stages of development and growth and maturity, some of which come out at various different opportunities and times, sometimes making me look good. Other times, really making me not come across very well at all. And my wife, who is closest to me, really experiences that on a fairly kind of daily basis. And she has her own opinions about kind of my inner children and, and, and when their, their various expressions are. But what I'd like to do this morning, if it's okay, is talk about six children that I think we all have that need to grow up a little bit, if that's okay. Is that all right? There are two possible ways that this can go. There are children that need to grow up and things, therefore, that we need to grow out of. Now, I'm, I'm one of four. I've got four children. I'm, I'm, I'm a child of uh, one of a family of six, so I'm one of four children, if I can get that across. So I kind of lived on hand-me-downs like a lot of um, 
kind of children do. And my children live on hand-me-downs as well, not even necessarily from within our own family. We get hand-me-downs from other families, which is brilliant. Um, but there's always that moment as a parent, and I've discovered this, and I can appreciate where my parents came from, where you get an item of clothing that's about two sizes too big, but you think, ah, they'll grow into it. So you give it to them anyway. And so I think that there are two possible ways we look at this. We look at things that we need to grow out of, and we look at things that we need to grow into as well. So I've split these six children into two halves. So we've got three children each. If, you, if you're counting psychologically in my brain, I've, I've made this work where actually I've got two sets of twins. So I've got, I've probably overthought this a little bit too much. You, you may be kind of picking up on, on that. But the first one, let me introduce you to the first one. First child that we're going to look at is a child called Mess. Now, I have four children in my household. Our house is never tidy, and I do mean never. There might be a brief five-minute window of opportunity where we have spent about two days solidly cleaning it through, where it can be classified as tidy. The rest of the time, we have four children. They just walk into a room, pick something up, throw it over their shoulder, they'll stumble around, there's crumbs everywhere, there is mess, there's Play-Doh stomped into the carpet. Then we've got a dog as well who is a black-haired dog who just comes into, into a room and just sheds his entire body weight in hair two seconds after you've hoovered it. There is no possible way that our house is staying tidy because our children are at that age and that stage of growth and development where they just make a mess. That's life. Hopefully, hopefully, they will grow out of it. <laughs> now, this is, this is the naivety of a parent whose children are nine, six, two, and one. Those with teenagers in the room will just go, no. Those with, parents, with children in their 20s will go, no, we're still picking up the pieces. And all that. Just let me live in my, kind of, in my hope, okay? But children make a mess. And as we grow up and stop being a child anymore, we like to think that we've kind of left that behind us a little bit. But in reality, I think sometimes the, the way that we make a mess just shifts. Sometimes we find that actually we make a mess of relationships we make a mess of family, or we make a mess of finances, or we, we find ourselves doing these things that just make a mess. Now, some of us are better at it than others, and there's all sorts of factors. I'm not going to get into the reasons why that happens, but sometimes, if we're honest, we do just find ourselves in situations where we're like, I've made a real mess of that, and then we've got to deal with it and to cope with it. And there's this passage, which is one that you may have read before, Romans 7, 15 to 18, which is Paul kind of agonizing with this issue which is, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. That's all right. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Is there another one, or does it finish there? I think it finishes there. The desire to do what is good, the desire to do what is sensible, the desire to love my family, the desire to treat everybody completely e evenly and equally and never get frustrated and, and allow my temper to overboil itself. I've got the desire to do that, but I can't always see it through because there's a child called mess that just needs to grow up a little bit. Now, this is not about having a go because I am standing here as a completely imperfect person with various different stages. But we need sometimes to recognize, actually, there's bits of us that need to grow up 
a little bit. Interestingly enough, Romans 7, 25, a little bit further on, we're going to change translation slightly, but talks about a way out. It says this, I give all my thanks to God, for his mighty power has finally provided a way out through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one. So if, I, if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin, that means that I, I, I do all this stuff and I make a complete mess if I'm left on my own devices. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. How do we get the child of mess to grow up? We focus on what Jesus says about us and about our lives. That is the hope that has come into the world. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in you tonight, in him. That is how we allow the child of mess. Now, some of you may struggle with this, and sometimes life looks like a bit of a mess. You're in a deep and dreamless sleep. Shh. But Jesus is coming. Surprise! It's all good. So, child called mess. Second one. A child called mine. Has anyone ever seen Finding Nemo? With the seagulls. Mine, 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 mine. I have four of those that live in my house. <laughs> um, their names are... No, I'm not. So, but <laughs> that is a constant battle in our house. It's a constant what's mine. The, the concept of ownership. And there are varying different concepts of ownership depending on how old you are and what level of maturity you've got to. We've got um, a two-year-old... Nathaniel, who is beautiful. He is an absolute legend. He is my favorite Nathaniel in, in the entire world. Not my favorite child, my favorite Nathaniel. Okay? Um, but his concept of mine, his concept of ownership is basically this. If I can see it, it's mine. If I can touch it, it's mine. If I can reach it, it's mine. If I can get it off my sister before you can stop me, it's mine. If it's yours, it's mine. If it's mine, it's mine. Everything in this entire world is mine, except the resulting mess. That's yours. That's how this works out. Right? And we like to think we've grown out of that. But sometimes we really haven't. Sometimes the transition just changes a little bit. Now, it may not be about material things. We may have a concept of, yes, I, I know what's mine and what's, what's yours, and I'm not going to steal from you because that, that would be wrong. Um, but there are still things that I consider to be mine. My time, that's mine. You know, that, that time between when I get home from work and when we have to start the bath time routine, and I just want to sit at the table and eat my tea in peace because it's my tea, not yours, and it's my time. I'm a little bit passionate about that. But there are those elements to life that's, you know, that's, that's my time. Those are, those are my things. That's my money. That's my finance. And actually, we transition it from the, the, the rule of law is not in, in our minds. It's not about if, if I can grab it, it's mine. It's about if I've earned it, it's mine. So we do that with money, quite obviously. You know, if, if I've earned it, it's mine. So I choose where it goes. Now, I might choose to give some away, how very generous of me. Uh, but actually, it's still mine. That's, that's my concept. Equally, with our time, I've earned some me time. We use that phrase quite a lot. Um, and, uh, and so children have a fantastic way of interrupting me time. There is no concept of me time when you've got four children under the age of 10. Um, even late at night when you think, finally, they've got to sleep. 
I can just relax and have a little bit of me time. And then one of them starts and wakes up and cries. And then one of them, then they wake the other three up as well. And it all just kind of spirals on you. Now, there's nothing wrong with having time to yourself. It's important to have time to yourself. It's important to have time that is devoted to you kind of refreshing yourself and, and restoring yourself. But it's about the concept of ownership and right to it. Because God has a concept of ownership as well. And God's concept of ownership is in Psalm 24, verse 1 to 2. And it says this, God claims the world as his. Everything and everyone belongs to him. There's another translation that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But so often we don't live like that is the case. We like to live in our own kind of way of thinking of things, our own concept of, of ownership and clinging on to things. And unfortunately, that feeds the child called mess a lot of the time because that tends to disrupt our relationships and we don't actually fully give ourselves either to God or to our relationships or to our family because we're so concerned about what is mine and what I have a right to. Actually, if we let it go and just say, do you know what? Everything is God's. But that relies on something really important. That relies on me trusting him because if I don't trust him then I don't trust that he's going to look after me time and that he's going to protect my things he's going to protect my finances he's going to he's going to supply my every need but if I choose to trust him that is how the child called mine grows up they choose to place their trust in the father and that helps the child called mess grow up a little bit as well. It's all interlinked. It's all interrelated. So that's, that's two. Two out of six. We're getting there. Right, two out of six. Three. Child number three is a child called more. So we've got mess, we've got mine, we've got more. Now a child called more is the twin brother of mine or twin sister, depending on your concept, how you want to visualize this. Um, but the child called more, we have children in our house who always want more, especially at Christmas. Now you can give them as much as you want. You can give them everything. I've gotten absolutely nothing left. They'll still want more because that is what a childish mind thinks and desires is wanting more and more and more. It's a constant appetite, more sweets, more chocolate, more of everything. I just, I just want more. It's so good. And that's the thing. It is good and that's great. But we just want more and more and more and more. And again, we like to think that we've grown out of this. Some of us know from our eating habits that that's not the case. Because the world has changed. When you were a child, Freddo bars were the be-all and end-all, right? Freddo bars are sort of 50, it's probably not even that, 23 grams, something like that, 23 grams of chocolate. Now, we're buying 200 gram bars of chocolate and eating them all in our car on the way to work. <laughs> Have I overshared here a little bit? Okay. <clears throat> we'll just, we'll dial back on that slightly. But the point is, the constant, there is always an appetite for more, we always want more, you know, whether it's, whether it's more chocolate or, you know, whether it's a bigger house or it's a better car or it's, a, you know, something material or we want more from other people. We want more time. I want you to spend more time with me. I, I don't feel like I'm getting enough out of this relationship. That's an appetite for more. It's the child called more wanting over and over again. And the advertising world does a brilliant way of convincing us that this is how life should be, that actually... We need more, and it transitions from I want more to I need more to be satisfied. I need more to have a fulfilling life. I need more to be in that um, kind of successful, confident, 
secure place. And the advertising world does it brilliantly because it convinces you that you deserve that as well. Actually, you should have that because you deserve it, because you've earned it, which feeds the child called mine, twin brother. And then the child called mess comes in and buys it all on a credit card, and then suddenly your finances are in an absolute state. Because we haven't grown out of the need and the desire for more. They haven't grown up yet. And you know, this is, this is it's brilliant because actually we have options here, right? We can stay in our deep and dreamless sleep as the silent stars go by. Shh. It is nice. Or we can wake up and enjoy, but also be challenged by the surprise. You weren't expecting this this morning, were you? See, there are things in life that we need to grow out of, right? Mess, mine, more. We need to grow out of them because they restrict what we're able to do with our lives. They restrict how we're able to interact. They restrict kind of us. They make us smaller because they just, they, they haven't grown up. But there are also things that we need to grow into. And this is the thing. I think that there's, a, there's some things that we need to grow out of. There are some things that it's like God's given you a Christmas jumper, but it's about three sizes too big. And you need to grow into it. And that's what the next three children are all about. Okay? So, we've done a child called mess, we've done a child called mine, we've done a child called more. This one you need to grow into. It's a child called joy. He wants a joyful jumper. Have you ever seen a child get more than they ever dreamed possible for Christmas? Have you ever had that moment, if, if, you're, if you're a parent or you may have witnessed it with somebody else's kids, where you've given them a present that they were not expecting, did not have a clue was coming, and it is the most amazing thing they have ever seen in their entire lives? That is the holy grail of parenting at Christmas, isn't it? That is what we want to give to our children at every moment. We want them to have that moment of just, wow, where they don't know what to do with themselves because they're so overcome with joy. And children do that. They are brilliant at doing that. But we grow out of it. What's that about? We spend our time so focused on the logistics and the finances and the, oh, what if I can maybe, I don't know, oh, that's very nice, but do you know what? Life's difficult. I don't have time for joy. I've got a mortgage. Do you know it's, this, this is what life becomes when the child called joy isn't allowed to grow. That's not how it was meant to be. Children are not meant to stay young. They are meant to grow and develop and expand and become all that they are meant to be. Jesus came so that we could have life in all its fullness. That is joy in all its fullness. If you are struggling with joy this year, God wants to change that. It's not about feeling bad because that's just going to make things worse. Don't kind of shrink into yourself. Just rely and focus on the joy that God has for you. This is what God says about joy. Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows overflows 
Not joy that you keep in the cupboard and bring out every so often because you feel like it. Joy has got nothing to do with what you feel like. It is about the joy of God living within you to such an extent that it overflows into you. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. You need more of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're struggling with joy, just ask for the Holy Spirit. Ask for him to come in. Ask for God to come in. Ask for him to reach inside you and bring the joy out that he's placed within you. Psalm 31.7 says, In mercy you've seen my troubles and you've cared for me. Even during this crisis in my soul, I will be radiant with joy. So if you're sat there and thinking, yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life at the moment. There's still joy. There is still joy, regardless of what's going on. In a crisis of the soul, there is still joy. I will be radiant with joy. In this moment, I will choose to allow joy to come out and come to the fore. Psalm 16, verse 9. I like this one. My heart and soul will explode with joy. How many of us allow ourselves to be explosive? Just anyway, in life. But to have that moment, remembering what it was like as a child when you were given the most amazing thing in the world. And if you've never had that moment where you were given the most amazing thing in the world, God wants to do it for you. Because he wants to give you joy in its fullness. So regardless of your upbringing or circumstances or whatever your family was like growing up, there is still joy. It is not reliant on material things. That's the analogy that we use. It is about God reaching into your heart and giving you the greatest gift this Christmas, his joy. We need to grow into joy and stop being a child of joy and become an adult of joy. So a child called joy. Next one is a child called hope. Hope for something new, something better. This is the opposite of disillusionment. Disillusionment is what we kind of grow into as time goes on. We start life as, as really kind of innocent, and we have this concept that things will get better. And then we grow up. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we get so absorbed in the way that the world works. And sometimes, if we're honest, in life, things get hard. They're difficult. They're challenging. And if a child called mess is stomping all over the place, then we can become really kind of down and think, well, this is just going to get worse. A child called hope needs to grow needs to grow, hope for something new, hope for something better. There is always more. In the midst of a crisis, God is there. Whether you recognize him or not, whether you see him or not, whether it feels like it or not. In some of the, some of the most difficult circumstances that I've gone through in life, some of the, the hardest things that I've been through, it has felt like God hasn't been there. And I've had moments where I've ranted at him, properly ranted at him. I'd go to somewhere completely secluded and just have a pop at God about the fact that he's not there and be really angry about it and be justified in that and feel that I've, I deserve this to hold on to this anger because a child called mind is there because this is my anger, because this is my circumstances and I've got a right to be angry at you, God, because you weren't there. And I had a moment on one of these occasions where I just in that still small voice, and I, it was one of those things that you don't, you know when you don't actually allow yourself to believe it at the time, but it continues to come through. Just not an audible voice, nothing like that, just something, a thought dropped into my head of, yes I was. 
Now, that took me a long time to reconcile. Because then the concept is, well, if God was there, why didn't he do anything? So then you get angry again. And it carries on, and it carries on, and it carries on, until you realize that, yes, God was there, experiencing it all with you, in every fiber and every cell and every atom of your being, going through that process with you, knowing that there's another side to it, that you will come out the other side, that you can come out the other side. And we lose sight of that because we focus on the moment. We focus on the pain and it shrinks us down in tunnel vision. But God knows that there's another side. God knows that there is a coming out on the other side. God knows that his peace and his joy and his grace are sufficient for you. Regardless of what happened, regardless of what anybody else has done to you, regardless of your circumstances, there is more from God. There is hope. What we have to do is allow that hope to grow within us. Because again, we can shut it away and pretend it's not there. And sometimes it feels, in a weird sort of way, it feels better to do that. Because then we don't have to deal with the mess. But it's still there. There is hope. And to bring it into the light and allow it to grow is better. It always makes things better. Psalm 10:17 says this, Lord, you know and understand all the hopes of the humble and will hear their cries and comfort their hearts, helping them all. For some people in this room, Christmas is not easy because it can be a time when painful things have happened or it can be a time when you're forced to interact with people that you'd really rather never speak to again. But there is hope in that moment, in the pain and the difficulty and the awkwardness. There is hope. God will hear your cry and comfort your heart, helping you if you allow him to. Psalm 27, 14 says this. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting, for he will never disappoint you. The difficulty and the bit that we struggle with is the waiting. But there is an end in sight. There are dark streets. It's a deep and dreamless sleep. But there is an everlasting light flooding through. Surprise. <laughs> he doesn't disappoint. And the key thing for me this morning, the hopes and fears of all your years can be met in him this morning. Right here and now. Whether we allow him to is often the trick. So a child called joy, a child called hope, Next one is a child called Faith. Now, I wanted to call this a child called Wonder, but then I realized it was a bit too much like a fish called Wonder. So um, that's just, a, again, a slight insight into how, how my mind works. But a child called Faith, right? Do you ever wonder what happened to the wonder of Christmas? And again, as a child, right? Gyra, one and a half, she'll stand in front of that Christmas tree with baubles the size of her head, just kind of staring up in absolute awe and wonder. We've got our, our next door neighbors but one. 
um, have a giant conifer tree in their front garden. And they decked it out. They got a cherry picker in and everything and decked it out with massive lights that go all the way up to the top. When I walked outside, right, bear in mind that as a child, you would walk outside and go, wow. I walked outside and went, it's all right. Because <laughs> you do, don't you? This is the thing. We lose the wonder somehow. And it takes a lot to impress us. And actually, we get saturation point. I don't know whether media has impacted this or, or what, but we, we do get to a saturation point where we're really hard to impress. You know, someone can do something massively impressive, and you just go, yeah, it's all right. Saw someone do it better on YouTube. This is the thing. But there's a wonder to Christmas, and there's a wonder to what God is doing at Christmas. And we get to saturation point with it because we've heard the Christmas story. If we've been in church for most of our lives, we've heard the Christmas story. I don't know how many times. If you go to school, you'll have heard the Christmas story. You know, and, and we get to the point where we lose the wonder of it because we know the deal. We know, yeah, okay, Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph can't find a place at the inn, so they go and sit in, a, sit in a stable, and Mary gives birth, and then there's shepherds that come, and they bring a lamb or something, and then there's wise men, and they bring presents, and then that's it, everybody goes home. And we lose sight of the fact that this is God. God choosing to come out of heaven, to come out of this place where actually he is the all in all. He has nothing, he needs nothing else. He can be in complete unity within himself, completely self-sufficient, but chooses to make himself vulnerable, to come as a baby, before a baby, to come as a fetus. I mean, that's got to be a weird concept for God. But to come as a baby, to grow through pregnancy, to be born, to go through that whole process. Why? So that he could ultimately pay the price for our sins. That was it to bring us back into relationship with him. Not because he had to, because he chose to. And we lose the wonder of that, of what is the thing that God wants to do for us? What is the thing that God wants to say to us this Christmas? Can I encourage you this Christmas? God wants to say something to you this Christmas. He wants to reach you this Christmas. He wants to give you something wonderful this Christmas. Faith Incidentally, which is why it's a child called faith, Hebrews 11.1, 1, this is what faith is. Faith brings our hopes into reality. If your child called hope is growing, your child called faith will bring it into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. You want your child called hope to grow? Nurture the child called faith. They're twins. Just like the first two set, first set of twins, these are a set of twins. You can't separate them. They're not identical, but you can't separate them. You have to grow the two together. If you are struggling with finding hope, allow faith to grow in you. And it's the difficult bit, again, is this is the, what is still unseen. Because it hasn't happened yet. We need to place our faith in something that hasn't happened yet because God has seen it already. He's seen the other side. He's seen the coming out of. He's seen the healing. He's seen whatever it is that you need. But we have to place our faith in what is yet unseen. 1 Corinthians 2.9, very famous verse says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. That's what we're talking about. 
Things that you can't even conceive of, but it's believing for more. Why do kids love Christmas? Partly because they get loads of presents of chocolate, but also because there is some wonder to the world. There is an unseen. Why do we tell the stories that we tell at Christmas? Why does culture tell the stories that it tells at Christmas? Because there is a wonder in the things that are as yet still unseen. God has something real and tangible to give you this Christmas. But it may not be something that you've seen yet or heard or even conceived of yet. The child called faith needs to grow. We need to grow into that place. So can I just ask you something to think about on this? What is it that God has in store for you this Christmas? Make it tangible. Make it real. Don't leave this as a concept. Think. What is it that you're believing for this Christmas? What is it that God has for you this Christmas? What are the things that you believe God can do for you? And then change that to will do for you. What are you believing for this Christmas? The child called faith, the child called wonder, believes in the unseen, believes in the impossible. We need to grow into that, to allow the wonder back into Christmas. Shh. Surprise! So how do we get these children to grow up? All right, Hebrews 12, 5 to 6, says this. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and the training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves that you are his delightful child. How do we get these children to grow up? Three things. Discipline. Sometimes we need discipline. Sometimes we need to recognize when we're wrong and accept the consequences for that. That two-year-old concept of I'll have everything except for the mess, we need to take responsibility for the mess sometimes. And it's about the discipline of doing that. Training. This is about practice. This is about teaching. This is about effort. This is about going back to God's word and choosing to believe it. Choosing to focus on the things that he said to us and choosing them over the things that are more natural. Just like when you're on a diet, you want to choose the healthy stuff over the chocolate. It's exactly the same thing. Choose your thoughts. Choose what you're thinking about. Choose to think on the things that God has said about you and the things that God has said about your life and the promises that he's made, not on your circumstances and the immediate and the here and now. That child called faith has to grow. And the last one is love. It's the evidence of his faithful love. And this is the thing. We've got six children. We've got a child called mess, child called mind, child called more, child called joy, child called hope, child called faith. But above it all, there is a God called love. Why not a child called love? Because a love is not a child to grow into. Love is a father longing to be embraced. Waiting for you to turn back to him. Waiting for you to come back to him. 1 John 4 Verse 7 to 10 says, those who are loved by God, let his love continually pour from you to one another because God is love. Everyone who loves is fathered by God and experiences an intimate knowledge of him. The one who doesn't love has yet to know God, yet to know God. There is hope, always hope. 
For God is love. The light of God's love shined within us when he sent his matchless son into the world so that we might live through him. Above your deep and dreamless sleep, there is an everlasting light shining because God sent his son into the world to bring you love and life in all its fullness. This is the Christmas story. The holy child of Bethlehem. It's not fake, it's not fiction, it's not false, it's not facade, it's not fable, it's not fantasy. It's a father who loves you more than life itself. And we know that because he gave his heavenly life to come into human form to give his life for you. Allow this Christmas to be not about the trimmings, but about receiving from the God called love. Because that's his desire this Christmas. That's what he wants. Whatever you might want or think you want, that is the way to true happiness this Christmas, to true joy, to true hope, and true faith, is to embrace the Father called love. So I'm going to pray. And I want everybody to join in with this prayer because no matter what stage of a relationship with God you're at, we need more of him this Christmas. So if you want to stand, we'll stand. And if the band want to to come up, we're just going to pray this and embrace the God called love this Christmas. Jesus, this morning, I choose to receive you as the holy child of Bethlehem. Jesus, I pray that you come and meet with me today. Father, will you cast out my sin, my mess, my mind, my more, and will you enter in and be born in me today? Father, I don't want to stay in my deep and dreamless sleep. I give you my hopes and fears. Father, will you come and live in me, abide in me, this Christmas as my God, Emmanuel, God with us. And will you show me and give me your joy, your hope, your faith, and the wonders of your love this Christmas?